Welcome to Let's Plant Houses, the podcast where we delve into the incredible journey of special needs parents. I'm your host, Wendy Ernst, and together we'll explore the resilience of this remarkable community. Whether you're a parent, a caregiver, or simply seeking to understand more about this journey, you're in the right place. So today I have Julie, um, a fellow special needs parent, joining us on the show today, and she's going to tell us a little bit about their family's journey in college. So thank you so much for being here today, Julie. Thanks for having me, Wendy. I'm excited to be here. Yay. So um, so I guess, Julie, where we'll start, if you wouldn't mind, you could just tell the listeners a little bit about your family. Sure, absolutely. Um, my husband and I um, have been together since high school, which is a really fun little fact I like to throw in there. Mm-hmm. But I think that is relevant because we um, have grown into adulthood together, and I think that that has made our marriage super duper strong, which we really needed the past five or six years. Sure. Um, so anyway, we had um, we dated all through college, and then. Um, got married shortly after, and then had twins five years later. Amazing. These twins were, it was amazing. Um, they were born two months early. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to stop working. I was a math teacher, high school math teacher. I decided to stay home with them because mm-hmm. um, that was definitely more than a full-time job. Um, and it was a very interesting parenting journey. I'm glad that they were my first kids because I didn't have many expectations for what childhood should look like. Sure. Because along the way, I had so many people telling me, wow, that's not normal <laughs> in like a loving way. Um, things like they, I had a cousin who discovered that they could read before mm-hmm. they were two. They were, um, it was about three or four months before their second birthday. Which is pretty remarkable. <laughs> it was really surprising. And I know it sounds stupid, like, wait, you're their mother and you didn't know that they could read, but they had those magnadoodle things. Sure. And she just, she was observing them. I was like, barely getting enough sleep to function. You of know, course. Twins. Yeah. So especially now that they're running around and all this stuff. And she thought that she saw them read a word. Hmm. And she thought, well, this is interesting. So on the Magnadoodle, she started writing some random elementary type words. And both of the children were reading them. And they were super excited. Like it so was obviously, they're highly verbal at this time, too. <laughs> well, not really. Actually, we had them tested because they were very late. They were reading before they were speaking. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so... Um, our neighbor at the time was a child psychologist, mm-hmm. and he mentioned to us at one point, he said, you know, um, I've been watching your kids, and at first I was thinking that maybe they were autistic. So he mentioned this when they were like between two and three years old. But then he said, but then I decided that they weren't. Huh. Caution <laughs> when someone <laughs> diagnoses based on your kid's behavior on a swing set. And then he said, because they made such good eye contact. Okay. You know, now this was in like 2003, right. roughly, right. you know, and our ideas of the autism spectrum were just beginning at that point. Absolutely true. So, um, but because he said that to me, like things that happened over the next like 10 to 15 years when I maybe would have thought, oh, maybe something is a little more amiss than just them being gifted. Um, I kind of dismissed it. Right. Um, And maybe that was me just wanting to choose like a simple, easy, non-labeling path. I don't know. But 
Anyway, I thought that that was interesting. Um, so again, going back to my family, I had identical twins, and um, one of them now is transgender. So although they were both designated male at birth, mm-hmm. if you hear me re- refer to one as a he and one as a she, that's why. Sure. So, um, so one of them transitioned. So um, yeah, now they have both completed college. I had one diagnosed at the age of 19 with autism. The other, we are as sure as we can be that um, she also is autistic, but we never went through the thousands of dollars it was going to take to test her because she didn't want it. She was almost finished with college. Mm -hmm. She finished early at that point. And so we just decided that we didn't need the label because we weren't going to trigger support services or anything like that. Right, which is why it would be important. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. So so I have one that is um, labeled autistic, also major depressive disorder, anxiety, ADHD, and another that is most likely autistic um, and ADHD. I wouldn't put her in the depressive category at this point. So you talk about your kids being gifted, Mm -hmm. and then you talk about your son making this jump to these additional diagnoses. Mm -hmm. So what was happening there? Mm -hmm. So what was was happening in your lives that made you start to consider other other things that could be going on? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was mainly when he went to college. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so... um, because your journey to college even was a little bit different, right? It was a little different. Um, the kids were both so interested in academics. Um, I tried them at, like, um, they used to call it the hippie school, and at a, a school that was very, like, organic, outdoors, and non-academic. Sure. I started them there for preschool through second grade because I thought, they're learning the academics on their own. Yeah. They don't need to be taught it. They're self-taught. What they need are the social interactions and the time outside mm-hmm. and the play. So we did that for four years and ended up pulling them because it just wasn't working out. They were coming home so exhausted, Okay. Um, not able to do anything the rest of the day. Um, it, it was just, you know, looking back, understanding autism spectrum disorder, it all makes sense. Like it was extremely exhausting for them to be around these other children. I remember certain things like rules in the playground and, <laughs> and you know, the strong sense of justice and following rules that right. both the kids had. Very, okay. very rigid in that. Oh. And if, if another kid, you know, put a foot over the line where they weren't supposed to be on the playground, it was all over. It was oh, tears wow. and you can't do that. Huh. It's against the rules. Um, so, but, you know, in a school setting, those things happen all the time. No doubt. So it was very, very stressful for the kids. Oh, you're saying just for those for your kids, it yeah. happened all the time. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry if I was unclear. No, no, no. It's okay. So you're fine. There were just many, many things about the school setting that were super stressful for the kids. And I was reading that and seeing that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now they're like, you know, six, seven years old and, you know, they were already going, the school was pre through eight, Mm -hmm. and they were already going into the middle school grades for the science portions. And I just thought this school doesn't really have much to offer them going forward. And being that I was a STEM teacher, I felt confident pulling them out and teaching them at home. Right. It happened to be when the economy in Metro Detroit was really tanking. Mm -hmm. So it kind of worked out well to not be paying that private tuition. And I thought, let's just try this. I knew other people that had homeschooled. So yeah, I homeschooled them. Um, 
and it, and it worked out really well. In my area, there's a huge homeschooling community. Okay. So we were able to do orchestra and choir and sports and um, musical theater, Amazing. all of that stuff. So they got all of that stuff, but then the academics, we could focus on where their interests were. Mm-hmm. So yeah, home looked very different. The kids were taking AP classes in middle school. So um, we ended up jumping a grade because we thought... Um, maybe they would like to take a gap year. They were already doing high school work. Um, And I started to look into how many years back will a college give you credit for AP things that you've taken? You know, like, is this stuff that they're doing going to count? We ended up skipping a grade, um, thinking that they would take a gap year. Neither of them wanted to take a gap year because they just love learning. Um, During those high school years, I got a breast cancer diagnosis. Mm. And um, their whole junior year, I was having multiple surgeries and I was pretty much in bed the whole time, which caused a problem for homeschooling. But this is where I thought they were so ready for college because they had so much autonomy. Mm -hmm. Um, They had to do the cooking, the laundry. um, I mean, not all of it, but a large portion of it. They were doing their own laundry, doing their own dishes, doing their own kitchen. Yeah, because I was stuck in bed, you know, which is really unfortunate. But I thought, well, you know what? When they go to college, they're really going to rock it because they already know all of these skills. Mm -hmm. Well, therein lies the problem. Um, They had all of those skills at home. Being on the autism spectrum, I did not realize at the time that they were, but those skills didn't translate to a new place. Okay. So doing laundry at home. Because they know where everything is. Yeah, is completely different from doing laundry in a dorm, in a dormitory. Um, You know, getting the mail looks different. Yeah. You don't just walk to the mailbox. You have this thing with this key. You got to figure this out. I mean, everything was so radically different. You know, you didn't have a kitchen. You didn't, it, it, it. and then the schedule was, um, the schedule of college and, and the basic way that college is set up, every semester, everything changes 100%. Your schedule changes. Mm-hmm. Your teachers change. Yep. Your, you have different syllabi, you know, different expectations. You're walking to different places on campus. Um, you have different kids in your classroom. That is not mimicking the work environment, Right. Like work isn't like that. Um, so <laughs> I only say that because getting through the college years on the autism spectrum is extremely difficult because of those constant changes. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that too, specifically, okay. if that's okay. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So you had said, so I think your son was the one that was diagnosed with ASD, correct? correct. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, so it sounds to me like at this point when, so I guess... You had sent him to college. First year was a struggle. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, um, and then why don't you tell me a little bit more about that first? Yeah, yeah. Um, the first thing that I really noticed was that he couldn't get, pick up his packages. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids have a birthday in October, um, so they were getting, you know, things sent to them for their birthday. Um, you know, my son was... He attended a mid-Atlantic school, so he was like 550 miles away. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I was sending him things. Friends were sending him things. And 
you know, I was texting them. I'm like, did you get this? Did you get that? We're approaching the birthday. Did you get this card that uncle so-and-so sent you? No, no, I haven't. I haven't picked it up. I haven't picked it up. And I'm thinking, why can't you pick up your package? Right. You did that at home. Right. You're taking care of mail at home. You're taking care of all these responsibilities at home when, when you're helping me through all these, you know, through my recovery. Right. So right. why is this so hard? Right. Why is this hard? And that was a question I asked myself so much that first year until I started to really understand what it meant to be neurodivergent. And he hadn't been diagnosed at he this He had point. not been diagnosed. So it wasn't really on my radar. Um, there were... I could see the depression starting to kick in. Um, there was one point that he was referred to a counselor on campus, and I got a call from the RA um, because he was kind of having a breakdown, mm -hmm. and he got really angry, which is not like him. He is not an angry person. But I think when your frustration levels reach a certain amount, like all of us can kind of break. And there was a moment in the dorm room where he, he was yelling and frustrated. I still don't know to this day exactly what was going on, but you know what dorm life can be like, right? Sure. So, so, um, and now this is mid-October, so, you know, midterms are starting to pile on and things like that. Um, and so I knew that he was struggling um, somewhere. I yeah. wasn't quite sure what was going on. You couldn't on. pinpoint it. Couldn't pinpoint it. Yeah. So I drove out there. Yeah. In the meantime, he had turned 18. Now, all of a sudden, I don't have access to anything yep, anymore. Because he's an adult. He's an adult. Yeah. And so here he is, like, depressed. I didn't know he was depressed at the time. And I'm texting him, and I'm asking for him to give permission yep. for these counselors to give share you, with me. To give you information. So I know what the heck yeah. is going on, you know? Um Luckily, um, through some Forbes article or something like that, we did have medical power of attorney set up before okay. the kids went to college. Highly recommend that for anybody, not just parents of um, special needs children, but you know, when your kid turns 18, yeah, all of that power goes away. Yep. Um, so having medical power of attorney was really important, um, and I'll tell you why later. But anyway, um, so I drove out there, tried to get a handle on what was going on, and he had this heart-to-heart -heart with me. I remember we're standing in the parking lot, and he puts his hands on my shoulders, and we're just we're face-to-face, -face, and I'm going to probably cry talking about it now. And he goes, Mom, he goes, I just want you to trust me. He goes, will you just trust me? I go, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, of course, I, I made sure that he knew that he could contact me anytime. Of course. You know, but he really wanted to go through this alone. He was always a very independent child. I mean, as a baby, he didn't want you to teach him how to throw the ball. You know, like you're sitting on the floor with your legs splayed apart, rolling the ball back and forth. He didn't want you to show him. He wanted to figure it out himself. Right. He was a self-soother, always super-duper independent. And I wanted to give him that. And, you know, the, the way that he looked in my eyes and said, trust me, I okay, I trust you. Right. So I trusted him and I let him alone. And he also said to me during that conversation, he said, mom, he said, when you suggest things, cause I'm a fixer. If someone tells me that they're having a problem, I'm going to have five different solutions. I think it, right? all moms at some level are fixers. <laughs> so I totally get it. So he said, and this is, he's always been so mature. Um, you know, he can put things into words. He's a really great writer too. Mm -hmm. He said, when you suggest something to me, he said, it takes away my autonomy in choosing that. He said, if I choose to do what you suggest, then I feel like I'm just living in the box that you want me to be in. 
So if you don't suggest anything, I might choose that on my own, but I'm doing it on my own and not because you told me. He says, so when you suggest something, it's almost like I can't do that right? because then that's not me because it didn't come from me. But that's really brilliant that he was able to not only articulate that, but willing to communicate that to you. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. It's amazing that you had that moment. Thank you. Thank you. He's always been... We've always been great sharers. I love that. Us. Thank you very much. So I really, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, I, I don't know if that was the right thing to do. I really stepped back. And I would send him texts that would be like, I really want to know how you're doing if you want to share. Right. But it's okay but if you don't. But you don't want to ask? <laughs> You know? It's like it's like well you don't want to say did you have a good day because you just insinuated that they're having a good right. day or a bad day or you know instead of saying how was your day right. so yeah right. yeah right. you don't want to lead the witness right exactly yeah but he did make it through the rest of that year you know without yep. any huge incidents so this was and freshman I think year that's because it was freshman year and he was in a special program that was a cohort and so he lived in a dorm together with these like 28 or 29 other kids. So a small group that were the same group. Yep. So that was some of his They were together consi- every day. That was his consistency. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. A routine. Yep. So then what happened next? So then, you know, toward the end of the second semester, um, things started to kind of get bad again in terms of, you know, we're reaching the final season again and, yep. you know, papers are due. Lots of pressure. You know, all of that stuff, normal stuff for college. And, um, but he made it through. But when he came home, we knew we had to put a plan together. He needed to see a psychiatrist. He wanted to go into therapy. You know, we wanted to try and f- not fix, fix isn't the right word. We wanted to address all of these issues and try to give him a really strong grounding for the summer before he went back for sophomore year, which he really, really wanted to do. You know, we were like, you can transfer home somewhere. At this time, we have. Um, a diagnosis of uh, major depressive disorder, um, anxiety, like major anxiety, and ADHD. Mm-hmm. So throughout that freshman year, we did go through and get those diagnoses. So he comes home, and we're trying to you know, figure out medication, all that stuff. Yep. Um, fast forwarding, four or five different medications four years later, nothing ever address the depression medication wise. Mm-hmm. So, But you know, it takes a long time yeah. to be on a medication to see if it's going to work or not. So we're figuring it all out, and he kind of feels like he's set, ready to go back for sophomore year. So he goes back sophomore year. Um, we had, um, I forget what the process was. We ended up getting him a single dorm room okay. um, due to, because we were plugged in with disability support services at that point, just for okay. the major depressive disorder and the okay. anxiety. So we already kind of were in with them, and we had all of that registered. So we were able to get him a single dorm room. Um which was great because that eliminated a lot of pressures for someone mm-hmm. on the spectrum, um, which we didn't know at the time yet. So we thought we had them all like worked out. Yep. You know, as many of the wrinkles as we could. And um, the year started. I had one more surgery that I had to um, hurry up and get. I was trying to get it like when the, both the kids went off for school again so that I would be healed up by their birthday <laughs> so I could see them. And, um, so I had this surgery, I'm recovering a couple weeks and we get a phone call from a hospital, mm. which is, it's just that nightmare moment. It's the right? call you don't want to get. You are f- yeah. 550 miles away. Mm-hmm. It was like nine o'clock at night. So you couldn't get a flight. Yeah. And, um, it was, 
there had been an incident in a classroom um, and someone in the classroom walked him to the counseling office and in the counselors talking with him, they realized that, you know, there were there was too much suicidal ideation and they called an ambulance and had him taken to the ER. Wow. So, um, and that was when I got the phone call from the psychiatrist that was working the ER that night. Okay. Um, terrible moment that I care not to relive. So we're just going to fast forward sure. to um, being very glad that we already had a great psychiatrist established in DC because by the time we got out there and could see him in the psych ward mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C., you can imagine it was very ugly there. Yes. It was very frightening. And the kinds of precautions that they have to take when they feel that someone might harm themselves create such a stark environment. Um, my son was always soothed with music. There was He had no access to music. You know, he, he, there was, he, he was just in this hospital gown, you know, laying on this bed, being forced to go to these like group things, which, you know, for someone on the spectrum, I mean, th- this was just all these strangers yep. with all of these weird behaviors right. and he's forced to do it. Um, he couldn't eat any of the food um, just because it was different and gross right. to him. Um, it was a terrible, terrible situation. But our psychiatrist was so amazing. Um, he actually was on, um, is on sta- was on staff at... This uh, hospital at the university, okay. no, at the university okay. that uses that hospital as a teaching hospital. So okay. he had some pull, and um, he got he pulled all these little tricks to get him released in our custody if we took him directly to Michigan. Okay. And now this is also where the power of attorney comes in because we had that medical power of attorney for just such a situation. Immediately we could walk into the hospital and say, here are the papers, tell us everything. We are making all the decisions. Right. So that was really important to have. So we get him home and we're just focused on getting him to, you know, be happy basically. Right. right. It's such a simple concept, but such a big task. Um, Having to move everything out of his dorm room and contact all his professors and wrap everything up at university was um, difficult. You know, all this time I'm supposed to be in bed, right? Right. (laughs) I'm spiking fevers on the airplane with, you know, of course this was pre-COVID, right? They would never let me on nowadays, (laughs) right? Um, Anyway, um, it was a very difficult time. Anyway, um, so this was in fall of 19 and then COVID hit. Um, which was sort of a blessing for us um, because the whole world kind of quieted down mm-hmm. and it felt like it gave us space to heal as a family. Sure. The twin came home from who was at U of M at the time. Mm-hmm. They came home. Um, my husband wasn't even leaving. You know, he was right. working from home and we just, you know, and I was baking bread like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so we had this really quiet family homey feel that was really great for healing for him. I'm very grateful for that. Um, We were able at that time to get in um, to the Center for Neuropsychology and Learning Development in Ann Arbor Mm -hmm. um, for the autism testing, which was what the psychiatrist in Washington, D.C. said, you know, I think it's time for us to go through this testing. Okay. Everyone had been suspecting it. By everyone, I mean the professionals that we had on his side. We had an executive functioning coach. Um, actually, we went, we went through two of those um, through his time um, at university. 
And so we're like, okay, let's do it. So that was when we did the autism testing. Okay. Um, and, um, my son had a really interesting revelation when he got the results. You know, you never know how he's going to perceive something. Um, his mind is so unique. Um, and he said it was a relief. Mm -hmm. He said it felt very empowering. He said that with the depression and anxiety, the ADHD was that was kind of on the side. He didn't judge that in himself so much. But with the anxiety and the depression diagnoses, he said that he felt like there was something wrong with him that he had to fix. And he wasn't fixing it. He wasn't making progress. And right. it made him feel like a constant failure. Um, but he said with the autism diagnosis, for him, it was just like turning on a light. And he realized that there wasn't something wrong with him. He was just... Different. He just thinks differently. He thinks differently. He sees the world differently. That's he right. interprets things differently. And different things are challenging for him. Right. So going back to picking up the, the packages, um, you know, when we see someone in a wheelchair, we understand why it's hard for them to walk up the steps. Of course we That's say right. you can't walk up those steps. You're in yep. a wheelchair, of course. Well, someone with neurodivergence, we might not understand why it's so hard to pick up this package. Right. You know, so um, anyway, so that really helped all of us to understand exactly what was going on. And it was a big sigh of relief. So, um, so that was when he got the autism diagnosis. And then you know, COVID, a school was online for the summer. Yep. That was his most successful academically semester um, in college, um, made Dean's List. You know, he was just totally rocking it because it was that environment where he was home and he had all of the support services of home. But when school went back on campus um, in the fall, he really, really wanted to go back. But this time he understood what his challenges were going to be. And we understood a little bit better what they were going to be. And we worked with disability support services, um, which was mostly bad, but a little bit good. <laughs> <laughs> they were really not very helpful. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, I'm reading all kinds of things and, and learning about how to best support my son. And um, we figured out some things that, that got us through. And he did get his degree. Um, so I don't know if you want me to go into like some of those things that we put in place that were really helpful. Yeah. I think if you want to just talk a little bit about some of those strategies that you thought were the sure. most helpful for other parents, sure. I think that would be amazing. Sure. Great. Well, uh, what I wanted to do, he was so successful at home. I wanted to mimic the home environment away mm -hmm. in Washington, DC as best I could. So we got him his own apartment where he would be able to control the thermostat uh, he would have a kitchen. Um, we found an apartment. They had a kitchen. They had the same stove that we had at home, which that was just that's luck. A, that's but amazing, <laughs> though, because knowing how to operate an appliance, no doubt, like, yeah. like, that gives you confidence. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a washer and dryer in the unit. Um, and we actually got a second bedroom because we knew that we were going to be going there often and we wanted it to be like a comfortable space, not like we were intruding and sleeping on the couch. Yep. Um, so we created this second home at school um, that was still just on the edge of campus. So he still felt like he was a regular old student walking to class and all of that stuff. But also his access to everything. Right, yeah. So it's like freedom. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Three blocks from a Whole Foods. 
And, Which is um, perfect. It's great. Well, his funny, his executive functioning coach had us practice grocery shopping at the Whole Foods mm-hmm. here in Michigan mm-hmm. so that he could transfer those yes, skills. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, and that's something I never would have thought of. I would, but the Whole Foods is the Whole Foods. The Whole Foods is Whole Foods. The All the checkouts are pretty yeah. much the same. Especially if you self-checkout. So, yeah, so we would go and he would have his, his list, you know, just the basics, milk, juice, you know, and we'd go to our local Whole Foods here in Michigan and he would go in by himself. You know, we would have this checklist. Okay, you've got your bags. You've got, you know, we tried to mimic it. And then when we get to DC, we're like, okay, let's go to Whole Foods. You know, do you want me to go with you or do you want to go alone? You know, so we established all of these processes. We also established ourselves with the... um, with the concierge there, who was wonderful. Awesome. Um, so we worked with him a lot, and he um, had my number to text, and he would kind of keep an eye on him for me, you know. So it's sounding like you gave him, like, extra support, mm-hmm. so people to look out for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you're creating this environment um, so that you're eliminating a lot of the uncertainty, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. that way he understands what to expect, how, what things, what's yeah. going to be there. Yeah. Um, yeah. What a great idea. Yeah. Thank you. And then um, every semester we would write all of his professors right off the bat before classes yep. even started yep. and say, you know, here's what's going on with me. Um, um, so that really helped a lot. And, and we teaching got, them how to interact with him so it's not all on him. Right. Right. right? Which and, was what disabilities and services, how they really disappointed me because I was chastised. I was chastised as a parent for working side by side with my son and disability services on these um, teleconference calls, you know, we were Zooming things. Yep. They were like, at our school, we really want the kids to learn how to do things on their own without the support of their parents. I thought, you really don't understand autism at all. Well, Let me tell you what executive functioning is all about. You expect him to traverse this extremely complicated path to, say, get... Um, take a room on his own for a test where he can, you know, sit alone and take a test like for that service. It was extremely complicated with many, many steps. I'm like, this is not something that's going to translate to his workplace. Right. He only needs to know this for four semesters. Let me help him. Right. You know, this is really dumb. (laughs) So they they really didn't understand. And that was when I was like, forget it. Or I'm just going to work with the professors one-on-one and handle everything on a case-by-case basis. When I brought the list of accommodations that were recommended by our doctor um, in Ann Arbor that did our diagnosis. He had this wonderful list of accommodations Mm -hmm. to give your disability support services team. They looked at it, you know what they said? No. These seem to be very unreasonable accommodations. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Really? I mean, they were things like maybe... um, 12 credits being full-time might be too much. Maybe nine credits could be full-time, you know, um, because of all of the, you know, whatever, yada, yada, yada. Um, group work, if there is any possibility for group for accommodations to be made with group work, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. It wasn't even things set in stone. It was like, maybe if possible, you could do this. Right, here's some maybe suggestions if possible, you instead of just that. shutting it all down. Yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. Um, you know, yeah, so not calling on him, cold calls, you right. know, um, things like that. It really would seem to me like really basic things for a person on the autism spectrum. So that really opened my eyes that, you know, 
disability support services really at this time, in my experience, do not have a handle on what people on the spectrum really need to be successful at college. And I think you, I think you hit something. Yeah. I mean, cause if you think about it and I know that we're, you know, getting towards the end of this, but I think that, oh no, 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 no apologies. <laughs> I yes. on and on. No, you're, this is really good information. Um, I think that this corresponds with the trajectory of autism as well. If you think about the explosion of the diagnosis, a lot of these kids are now becoming adults. Mm -hmm. So whereas I'm not saying autism hasn't been around a long time, it has, but mm -hmm. not in the sheer quantity. Mm -hmm. So that's why the universities, as an example, may not have had to support a number of people that needed that resource, where now you're going to see a lot more students with that label mm -hmm. and you're going to see the needs um, more obvious, mm -hmm. like what your experience going mm -hmm. through is going to become more common. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, you guys are first. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I so really I think want to get the message out. Like, I really want, you know. Not unfortunately, but you guys are first. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, yeah. I guess now that... Um, so I guess the, the last thing I'll ask you about this experience, this college mm -hmm. experience, mm -hmm. um, if you were going to talk to a family new on this journey, they're mm -hmm. starting to think about college, mm -hmm. their child has ASD, um, what advice would you give them? Call me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, short of that, short, short of that. that. Um, I would say have very real and appropriate conversations with your child about expectations. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe consider some alternatives, like maybe try college at home for a couple of years and then transfer if you really want to go away. Mm -hmm. um, I would talk up to disability support services. Some colleges are doing them really, really, really well. Okay. Um, Eric Garcia has a book called um, We're Not Broken. And in it, he, he yep. isolates a few specific colleges that are doing a great, great job with kids on the spectrum. Um, I think that in one conversation with a support services office, you'll get a feel, you know, for um, for how they handle it um, and what they understand. Mm -hmm. um, make them tell you what accommodations they've right. made in the past. Right. Get very specific on yeah. it um, and see. Just like um, you go after an IEP. Yeah. Yeah. I would insist on a single dorm room. Um you know, if your child goes the route where they really want to go away, I would insist on a single dorm room. It just eliminates so much chaos yes. and unpredictability. Right. Um, yeah. Um, stay in constant contact. You know, talk about the things that are going to be hard, like, um, you know, feeding yourself. Evan had a really hard time feeding himself. Mm -hmm. um, his university, because they were in a downtown, a really thriving downtown in Washington, D.C., they thought that they didn't need to have food halls in their dorms. Oh, so okay. kids just had like, um, like a slide card for like the 10 million places that they could go eat. They would just slide their card. Well, you know, for my son, that was a disaster. Right. He didn't know where to go. There was too much to pick Too from. many options. Yeah, too many options. Yep. He just needed... A cafeteria, you know, which would be challenging enough. Right. But instead, he ended up feeding himself from vending machines. Mm. And I didn't know this um, until, yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other story. So, yeah, I would say all those things, you know, talk to them um, about what it is they, um, you know, where you think the challenges are going to be. Yep. You know, talk about expectations. I really want to, like, someday I want to write a book about it because there's really, there's so much. You should. And it's so individual, you know, based on... You know, every person on the spectrum has different challenges. That's right. So, and different gifts. Yeah, that's right. Right? That's right. Your kid's yep. reading it too. Yeah. That is a gift, right? <laughs> yep. Like, I mean, 
Yeah. It's all part of it. Yep. Yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for being on here today, Julie. This yeah. has been amazing. And you're the first guest I've had that's been able to talk about the college experience. Mm. So this is so exciting. Great. So I feel like I only like, oh, I talked too much about the early years and, and not enough about college. I'll, I can come back and talk more specifics. <laughs> and maybe we will do that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because I would love that. And so I just want to tell you just how grateful I am to have you today as thank a guest. You. This is amazing. I'm grateful. Um, I want to get the story out. Yeah, it's it's important because mm-hmm. there's a lot more families probably considering this as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I really felt like we had to reinvent the wheel the whole way. And as parents, you know, we're already trying to, like you say, like making the impossible possible. That's right. You know, that's like, right. So, yeah. Well, thank you again. Thank you. And for those of you listening in, um, we hope you found this inspirational, and um, and hopefully you could connect with what you heard today. Um, If you'd like to support this resilient community, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, or sharing the podcast with others who may find it meaningful. And uh, please join us next time for Let's Plant Houses. Take care. Mm